I 100% feel like energy and spirit is very non-binary for me. That's like how I experience them. It's very like fluid. It's very expansive. Content warnings for this episode include experiences with anti-trans bigotry, anti-gay bigotry, and immigration trauma. Jennifer would like to acknowledge the indigenous peoples and unceded lands that the producers, hosts, and guests live and have dwelt upon. Today, we honor the Coast Salish, Mohawk, Algonquin, and Anishinaabe Bawaki, Lenape people, and Lenape We honor the elders, the human, plant, and animal ancestors of these lands and celebrate the living descendants of these peoples. May all beings tend these lands for the goodness of the next seven generations and beyond. Yaddy folks, welcome to Genderful, a talk show interviewing gender diverse people about their special interests. Hi, I'm Gendermaster, and my pronouns are they, them. Hi, I'm Miranda Katita, and my pronouns are she, her. The focus of our show is to interview trans, non-binary, agender, two-spirit, and gender diverse people regarding their special interests, passion projects, and resources for the gender diverse community. We want our audience to know that we hold multiple diverse identities and bring these lenses to the show with our passion for telling our stories. I identify as non-binary, transmasculine, polyamorous, ADHD, autistic, and disabled, chronic pain and mobility issues. I also am white and reside in the United States. I identify as trans-feminine, neurodivergent, queer, and a person of color residing in Canada. We invite you to remember that we are whole people with robust lives, friendships, challenges, and successes. We love and are loved, and we are delighted to share these stories with you. As always, we kindly remind our listeners that no person is a monolith of their identities. Your identities can change over time and are valid every step of the way. And if you think you're gender diverse, you are gender diverse. There's no social or medical prerequisite to be included in the community. Welcome to Genderful Podcast, a show interviewing gender diverse people about their special interests. This week, our guest Ma- Rafi Marhaba, they them pronouns, is chatting with us about art, activism, and spirituality. Rafi, I think we... Um, I think we might have heard about you through socials, but I just remember this really beautiful picture of you where I feel like your spirit is really shining through. Aww. It's like, it's just such, it's just such good vibes. I don't, I, I cannot put it into words how the energy of the picture, but it's just really wonderful and it's great to meet you. So welcome to Genderful, Rafi. Oh, that was so beautiful. Thank you for having me. I'm curious what picture is that? I want to, I want to find that picture. Yeah, maybe I can maybe I can find it and send it to you. You might have some paint on your face, something I think. Ah. Is there a picture of you with paint on your face, or like eye Quite makeup? A few. Or... Quite yeah. a few. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's the artistic side, it's the activist side. Yeah, all yeah. of that. Actually, the embodied yeah, I, get um... out there and stuff side. I was reading your article that you wrote about uh, nonviolent activism um, and how it's, uh, that's the thing for the privileged. Oh, yeah. So there's that. And there's also um, one that actually went pretty viral. And Mm. up until this day, I still got messages about it. It's called uh, nonviolent communication is for the privileged. Yes, that's the one mm. I was reading. Oh, is that the one you're talking about? Because I also wrote direct action is for the privileged. Um, Oh, okay which um, it's another one. But yeah, that one, 
I didn't expect it. it. It's a funny story how that Mm. article came about. So I used to live with some roommates that were uh, very progressive and all that, but they wouldn't just, they they would not get um, issues of like anti-Arabness and things like that, you know, like progressives minus Arabs. Um, Yeah. yeah. And there was like a lot of microaggression and aggression during that uh, living situation. So I didn't know what to do with myself. And I was like, I'm, I should just write. And so I wrote that article and I didn't know how tight the, uh, the nonviolent communication community is, but they are a very, very tight community of people that like swear by, um, you know, nonviolent communication. And, you know, if you read my article, you'll see that, you know, I, mm-hmm. I um, am a fan of it in a lot of ways. So it's not an article that's just like this it's awful. This is terrible. There's no, nothing not to learn from it. Right. Uh, it's, it, it, it's a very nuanced article, but, um, yeah, it just like emerged from not knowing what to do with myself in a situation of living with people that wouldn't just get it. And I was like, this is the best thing that came out of that living hell situation. Uh, and it just like, you know, like it, it was pretty useful for a lot of people. So I'm, I'm glad that was the, the result of it. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad there was at least some good that came out of that situation because, yeah, like those sorts of anti-Arab micro microaggressions, I mean, oh boy, I'm sure that's something you've had to live with your whole life. That's something I've had to live with my whole life. So it's, uh, um, yeah, this is actually, I mean, we're, we were like, uh, Master and I were talking about this, like, uh, before you showed up, but like, I'm actually planning like, uh, you know, a video about like how... Out of all the people, it's it's the most okay to be racist against Arabs. If that's one, one that's the most accepted. 100%. Especially, yes. uh, you know, in a country like the U.S., mm-hmm. um, which is actually my uh, college dissertation was on George W. Bush, Bush post-9-11 uh, speech analyzing anti-imperialism and anti-Arabness in that speech. Uh, so I actually have a bachelor's in like linguistics because I speak a whole mm. bunch of language. Um, I saw that in your bio. Yeah, like numbers, forget about it all. Like I really don't like two plus two. I'm still like, I, I need a calculator. <laughs> that's that's what I'm at, you know, but I'm like, doesn't matter. I, I know a lot of languages. No, I know art. So who, yeah. who, needs, who needs numbers? I got a calculator for that. Yeah, and um, it's 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 really fun to be talking to a fellow polyglot because, like, I, I think you speak seven languages. Uh, well, I not all five. fluently. Yeah, <laughs> not not all fluently, but yeah, yeah, yeah at, at various levels of, of proficiency. But uh, but yeah, it's um, yeah, I have like I have this weird combination of left plus right brain where I can do the math, but I can I can also <laughs> speak the languages. So, yeah. I mean, I just approach it as a math problem. It's like, oh, like, what are the rules? How do I, how do I add words? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, you know, I, I do dream of a day where uh, my fellow activists who are so much like progressive and really like, I would stand up for all the injustices that they would stand up for things like Islamophobia and anti-Arabness, mm-hmm. you know, and like, Zionism and things like that so it's just like I I hope that um at some point and I think more people are waking up and just like doing the work to investigate a lot of things that they haven't had to think about yeah Uh, so I think anti-Arabness is definitely coming becoming a little bit more visible at least yes yes I fully agree with that
Um, so we have a couple of questions that like we like to ask all of our guests. Uh, the first one being is, what might be the things you can trace back to your youth that indicated you might be gender diverse one day? That one's so easy and so clear because I very much remember it. So, mm -hmm. um, so you know, I I am the only child, so I don't I don't have any siblings. But uh, same thing with my cousin and no siblings at all. So we kind of like adopted each other as kids. He's like eight years older than me. Um, and my favorite thing to do growing up was to hang out with my cousin and his uh, friends without a shirt on. It was like my favorite thing to do as a kid. I was just, I could not understand why I had to have a shirt on like elsewhere. Um, you know, so as I grew, grew older a little bit, like it became a little weird, you know, where my family was like, okay, no, you have to like start putting a shirt on because you're getting a little older. And I could just like not, it was like one of the mo most moments of uh, deep sadness that I remember as a kid. Just like that, you know, societal um, and family pressure and not just like take a moment to actually talk to me about it and investigate it a little further because that would have opened so many doors for me. I would I would have started thinking like, oh, maybe I just don't fit in within this category of gender. And instead, I was made feel like there was actually something just wrong with me, you know, for wanting to to do that or for oh enjoying God, that um so it's just like I you know I I look back and I was like wow if only I had had just a little bit more of um encouragement from family and friends I would have mm -hmm. been that my trans journey would have been so much different than than what it was you know because yeah. it, it did take take me a long time to then come to terms with with my transness yeah, that's not, I I relate to that so hard, like the 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 shame component, um, because like I mean, I can I can trace back like wanting to be a girl to like being a little kid, and like just no like especially with like within our culture, it's not something that's like openly accepted a lot of the time, so it's like I internalized that shame for a very long time, uh, and it was something that was like I like I couldn't talk about it. I couldn't. That was like my biggest secret. I couldn't tell anyone. Um, yeah. But I think if that was, you know, more accepted, more, um, if, if that was something that was kind of less stigmatized, where you could explore that, then, you know, I would have had a very different life. <laughs> so, right. And, and yeah. just, just even a little, like, curiosity instead of uh, complete uh, shame and, like, you can't do this, you know, if, if, even if it wasn't, like, a complete let's support you on this. Maybe it was just like a curiosity situation, but instead mm -hmm. it was just complete shame. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, how would you say your relationship to gender has evolved over time? It has evolved a lot. Um, you know, before I came to terms that I was trans, well, you know, there was the, I'm, a, I'm an 80s kid. I know that I don't look like I'm 40, but I'm almost 40. Um, and so I grew up in a time where, you know, the internet wasn't super readily available with every single piece of information. And I also grew up in Brazil, um, you know, and, you know, I'm, I'm biracial and Arab and white. And so there are all these components that I think 
we need to like name uh, just to contextualize things a little bit. Um, but I came out when I was 13, like, so that means I was already sure of like my sexuality and, you know, my, not my gender, but my sexuality mm. for a long time. So I had to come to terms with that. And I was like, you know what? I'm definitely a lesbian. Even though I was still attracted to guys, but I didn't know that I could choose mm. because I thought I had to choose one or the other. Like I had never heard of bisexuality mm. or any of those things. Like my, um, you know, form of representation that I had only seen was very much like either or. You're either like, gay or you're straight uh so i was like well then i'm definitely gay you know like <laughs> i have to choose i'm definitely gay so i i was on that boat for a while i think probably until like my early 20s and then i was just like you know what? i i took uh i took uh my first um not even not molly uh ecstasy trip uh oh. with this with this guy and i was just so into him and i was like oh my god i don't know what's going on but like i think i'm real into this guy and then oh. we just made out and i was like oh my god i guess my sexuality is just you know evolving and like expanding and um you know i left brazil when I was 24 and then I immigrated to the US. And I think once that shift happened, I was able to be a little bit more open to exploring where my gender fell into that because I started meeting people who were really opening up my mind. They were just like, you know, there's more than two genders, right? And I was like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, imagine. <laughs> what is is how like what you're just blowing my mind right now you know so i started kind of investigating that and being a little curious about it um but it was still like very hard because during my um immigration process which lasted 16 years um i kind of had to play a certain role of like mm. what the desirable gay immigrant looks like so there was no way or acts like so there was really no way for me as an opportunity at that moment in time to go full in into exploring my transness because I was like well I have to paint kind of like this representation of I'm just a gay person that wants the same exactly things as every single hetero person wants I want family I want kids blah, 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 which i do um but you know like it was very much like i'm essentially a hetero person i just happen to be gay um because you know it's it's the way to make yourself a quote-unquote kind of like good immigrant um and that's yeah. kind of like you have the to role. kind of be like the cishet's ideal of what a gay person should be exactly and yeah. even in that and even in that me trying as hard as I could, um, you know, during the, I remember this, uh, the first question that the immigration officer asked me when they heard my case was like, okay, so who was the man and who was the woman in their relationship? 
And I was just like, wow. For those of you listening in the future, we're making various faces at the moment. <laughs> yes, I'm making broad brow face. Yes, I'm, I'm doing it like the Jackie Chan meme. It's like, what? Yeah, I wish this was a made up situation. But... Oh, I 100% believe you. <laughs> yeah, I believe you too. It really wasn't like my law, even my lawyer was like, okay, like, how is this relevant to my client's case who spent the last 30 minutes talking about how they were like physically assaulted by, you know, Nazis and white supremacists and people who just hateful, hateful towards LGBTQ people? Um, you know, it wasn't. Uh, and what the hell hired this person? But they they were all like that, you know, they they had no they have no training. Um mm-hmm. and they could literally like at least that person could literally care less. And I think it's just a systematic thing where honestly they just could care less. Um it's uh they had no no education whatsoever, like wrong terms all the time. Like he was a it was one of the most like dehumanizing um, interviews that I had to, yeah. you know, go through, and uh, that the whole process, just like sixteen years, is uh, absurd for any mm-hmm. human being to have to endure through that. Yeah, it's the kind of thing that just kind of grinds you down over time. Oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, when I when I got my citizenship, I was just like, oh, cool. <laughs> I was like, yeah. people are not like, are you not gonna celebrate? Are you not gonna throw a party? And I'm like, no, it's been literally 16 years. Like, I I would have been happy to celebrate this, like, I don't know, 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I um, I feel that. You know, uh, I mean, not that I've gone through that specific experience, but like just more generalized like when you fight for something for so long that like it the reward at the end almost doesn't seem worth it um where right. it just kind of like all you can do is just breathe a sigh of relief that it's over that's and that's all you that's all you have left that's exactly how i felt you know it was just like i'm just relieved that i don't have to think about immigration like 24 7 and it's not like the center of uh my brain anymore Mm-hmm. And that uh, now I have a little bit more freedom to actually do the type of activism that I can put uh, myself a little bit more at risk than what I could before, you know, because yeah. with so many limitations, um, just like immigration kind of forces you to be this like robot, essentially. Yeah. You know, it's just like, nope, nobody lives like that. You know, it's just like, <laughs> you can't, you can't get like, you can't get arrested. Like if you're in, in your, in your green card process, like even if you get sometimes like traffic uh, violations, that can be something like, it can be depressed. It can have attempted, um, you know, mm-hmm. suicide, like all those. And, you know, I had, I had one of those in my record. So, you know, that really wasn't good for my case. Um, I had to do appeals and all that kind of stuff. So it's just like, you kind of, you become this uh, robot situation. Yeah. And it's something I, I really wish more people understood, like how difficult and time consuming this process is. Like whenever I hear like, you know, you know, uh, people talking about like, oh, like quote-unquote illegal immigrants it's like do you have any idea how hard it is to immigrate to another country and expensive yes 
that too. <laughs> yeah, very expensive. <laughs> yeah, so it's, yeah, I just, I wish more people understood that. And I wish more people understood like how privileged you can be to like be in the country that you want to be in. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, most people don't even want to have to leave their homelands. Like, you know, they, they're forced to do it because yeah, of unsafe yeah. situations and, um, and things like that. So, uh, so let's go ahead and go into our main special topic for today. Uh, so our first question for you is what kinds of art do you, and how, wh- I'm sorry, I can't words today. What kind of art do you do and how is your art informed by your gender identity? Yeah. So I'm, I'm mostly a, a digital illustrator, uh, an artist. I would say 95% of my art is digital. Um, I, I love a good iPad Procreate and, um, you know, Illustrator Photoshop as kind of my jam. Um, I love a good line work. So my, my style is very like line worky and kind of like print blocky also just kind of like not a very, um, complex hyper detailed photorealistic kind of stuff that's not really my jam my jam is more like raw and it has that kind of like grassrootsies feel to it um but i think that's a good good way to describe my style um and you know like um i'm very passionate about um really translating my values and my view of the world into my art and you know it's an inevitable thing I think artists who are like oh I'm I'm so detached from my own experience no you're not like (laughs) the art you do is is directly informed by how you like see the world whether you like it or not it's just this I just make it hyper visible because I'm like my art is political period I'm not even gonna fake it it is what it is. And I love that, you know, I make, I make art because I want to, I want to change the world and I want to be able to reach people in ways that um, really touch their soul and their heart. And so of course, gender is part of that exploration, you know, so when I'm drawing certain characters or like people, like they are very much queer and like trans and just like breaking boundaries um, and a representation of the world that I want to see, really, and that the world that I see in my own little world of worlds, uh, but most broadly, you know, the world that I, I want to see where everybody's just gay. Everybody's just gay. Um, and in between, we love you all, uh, but mostly queer. Um, and yeah, so just that exploration, like diversity of, uh, expressions, uh, whether or not it's like in an abstract way, you know, that's always informed by um, my gender expression and how I feel as part as part of like my trans um, identity. Everything is like transformational. So even thinking of um, more abstract uh, symbolisms, those are also very much like tied with you know, my transness in terms of like, I don't know, like butterflies, transformations, plants, like blossoming mm. and like things like that. They're very much intertwined with, with who I am. There's no way. 
no way around it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and like it's it sounds cliche by now, but like a butterfly is just it's such a perfect metaphor for the trans experience. <laughs> it, it truly is. It truly is. Yeah. And there's so many ways of uh, you know uh, creating it, and mm-hmm. and just like every time is a new thing. Yeah, I mean, I didn't want to. I didn't want to like be a living stereotype and have you know, oh, trans woman with a butterfly tattoo. But I'm, I'm actually planning my first tattoo to be a butterfly tattoo. <laughs> but that's it's not going to be in the place where most people would think it, it would it would go. So that's in my defense. It's going to go in a less a less provocative place. <laughs> that's awesome. Leave it at that. I think it's all about like how it's illustrated. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, it's, it's, for me, it's like less about the symbolism itself. And it's more about, okay, how is it placed? Where is a place? Like color, you know, styles and like all of those things. That's why I'm, I'm, I'm always like, we're, and honestly, we're not as artists, as people of this world, we're really just like reinventing the wheel on so many things, you know, nothing is really original. <laughs> we're just course, we're creating yeah. beautiful, beautiful things through our eyes. So, hands and I mean every great artist feels that's right (laughs) so so Rafi how do your artwork and activism intertwine great question um you know like that uh overlap was something that I thought after for a long time but in a capitalist world that we live in it's oftentimes so hard to do what you're uh, passionate about and then make money um you know for survival (laughs) so and like the beginning of my career as a a graphic designer so that's what i do you know professionally i'm a graphic designer friend specialist illustrator um i thought well you know i don't know if this is going to happen am i just well try to go the way that is going to make me the most money for now at least because I really need money uh I was like my immigration you know my immigration case costed thousands of dollars um 20,000 to be more specific um so you know that's the average course cost of it um and I was like well maybe I should go try advertisement oh my god I didn't last I lasted what I think like a couple months it was such an awful awful environment to work in it was just, i was just like oh my god it's just so bad so i really just like started um first donating my art to organizations that i was passionate about um immigration rights was one of those i theorize was one of those so whenever people need it hey can I, I need a poster i'd be like wow i can make one you know, I have the skills and I was still like learning about it. So it wasn't like I was the greatest uh, graphic designer, you know, but mm-hmm. like protest posters, usually you can, it's a good place for you to kind of like test some things out. And mm-hmm. that's also like, I think a good way for anyone, I think, who is interested in joining a social justice cause, uh, I say offer skills that you have because you will also be exposed to, you know, the way people organize, communicate with each other. And that's a great way to uh, actually learn directly from those people who are mostly affected. 
instead of just kind of like reading it from a blog post or a book, which is something a little bit more abstract, right? Like I think social justice really sinks in once you really have that experience rather than mm. an abstract experience. That's why a lot of why people have a lot of trouble with a lot of understanding a lot of things social justice because it's a very abstract thing for them, you know? And it's yeah. <laughs> In fact, it's not. It's a very, yeah. very real. It's unfortunate list. that's human nature. You don't start caring about something until it affects you personally. Right, right, yeah. exactly. You know, but just like being exposed through that environment and like seeing how people organize, how they talk to each other, what kind of messaging they were looking for. I learned a lot, so much about things that, you know, I didn't even know about. Uh, and, and, and that's very humbling for, for me. It was very humbling. Um, so, you know, I, I kind of like kept those like parallel things. I was like, well, maybe I don't need to like necessarily do what I love making money. I can do this on my free time, but you know, it's like capitalism, all my hours were, were being like used on this job and I hated it. And then I started getting a little bit more of opportunities through freel freelance work. So, you know, through freelance work, I started connecting more with um nonprofit organizations started getting my name a little bit more out there and i'll be like hey i did this poster thing and it was like cool oh my god it was in the march you know so like a lot of people saw it and it was like that's kind of how i got my foot onto the door and um started then being professionally hired and got like full-time jobs and got freelance work through um by doing social justice and activism combined uh, and like I said, it is a very humbling experience and um, you really have to, as a visual artist, there are visual artists, or artists in general, but you know, I'm a visual artist primarily. Um, there's so much you need to pay attention to and be aware of in order mm. to do art that is overlapped with social justice. Every sort of like um, brush stroke that I choose can make a good image go wrong very quickly i can I accentuate something that i'm not supposed to like i can stereotype things uh if i don't have that cultural humility in place and that um, experience in place um you know especially when you're dealing with sensitive topics and heavy topics you know i, I did a lot of work with like racism work integration lgbtq rights um indigenous sovereignty like i've done a whole range of things and in a lot of those topics i'm not necessarily super specialized on every single thing you know so you really have to like take your time to really learn things and and um, deconstruct your own biases and take directions from other people who are you know the experts in the field and um and learn from that um so you know it is a work that i say it starts with from with, from within first, and then it's translated into into art. So I have a, a two-pronged question here for you. Um, in just the general abstract sense, why is it important to be an activist? And why is it important for you to be an activist? That's a great question. Um, you know, I, I'm a firm believer that, um, and this is something I wanna teach, you know, uh, my kids one day, but I, I do think that it's my responsibility as a human being on this planet to leave it better than what I found it. 
Uh, so I do take upon myself as just, um, you know, a true responsibility and kind of like an ethical thing to do for me is to be in community and to advocate for the things that I believe in and to use the power that I have, however that is, you know, and I know sometimes it can feel a little bit like, who am I? I don't have any power, you know, but, but like, we truly do, we truly do, especially in the numbers, you know, if we all thought, oh, hey, wait a minute, actually, we all have the power. Uh, and the collective power is something just incredible to witness and to be, to be power off, be, uh, be um, uh, proud of. Um, and it's so powerful to be part of that. And we can truly, can truly do create a lot of change with it. And mm -hmm. I think art and activism are two forms in which we can um, cause cultural shifts. And, you know, there are studies on this, but um, you go on Google and just type like 25% change culture science or something like that. I don't know the exact prompt, but there uh, have been several studies uh, who that, that have found that you only need really 25% of a group to shift them into a direction where cultural change can actually happen. So when I think I, we only need 25% of these people to agree on a certain thing so that some sort of cultural change can start to happen. And it, it is slow. It's not like, oh my God, 25% people 25% agree and then we all have this. No, it takes time. But like when you think about the fact that it starts on the 25% and that's just like enough for some sort of change to start happening, I think that's like really, really powerful. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think that answers both questions and I do feel just like, um, uh, a sense of passion and responsibility for, uh, the world, not just my little world or my community, but, you know, the global world that we, we, we live in. So I want to do what I can in this live, which is short, mm -hmm. uh, might as well, might as well just be bold, you know? <laughs> You might, you might as well just be bold. So that's that's what I think about it. Um, Rafi, I really appreciate your your thoughts on the importance of being an activist and sort of cleaning up, leaving the leaving the world a better place than when you found it. Um, I I spent all weekend with a bunch of like queer witchy activists doing magic, and that's part of why I'm low energy today. <laughs> um. And something that a group of us talked about is what does it look like or mean to be doing, to be doing or wanting to be doing activism when you're disabled and when you can't be physically in the streets, marching, holding up signs. And uh, we talked about the, the importance of like, there's so many support roles that you can do from home, like, you know, being the person that gets the phone call, like, hey, we need to get picked up. Hey. We're, we're in jail, we need you to come get us, <laughs> like, whatever. Um, but also, like, you know, even even separated from backup support for in-person actions, like, for disabled people, we can raise money online, we can write uh, letters and messages to our, um, our various, um, whatever the opposite of constituents is, uh, our representatives. <laughs> Sorry. I had to think about that for a second too. Yeah. It's like, what is that called? 
Um, and there's like, there's at least with the, the, you know, five or six disabled people I was talking with about this, like, there's definitely a feeling of maybe like shame or less than or not as good as compared to able-bodied people that could march in the streets. Um, and I think it's important for folks who like don't have money to donate and don't have the physical bodies to march to remember there's still things that we can do. Um, you know, raising awareness because maybe we'll remind a different able-bodied person that they could also be at the march or whatever it is. Um, you know, and at least in the United States today, uh, we all have the power to vote. And so I do feel like voting is really important and um, participating in not only who we're choosing to lead our various countries, but what laws are we passing? What are we saying is legal for us to have? And being being intentional about not voting in things that are really harmful um, for folks. So anyways, I don't know if you have more thoughts about that. I also could just ask the next question, but... Um, uh, yeah, I've been I, thinking I, about activism I, mean, I literally had this exact conversation with uh, with a disabled colleague of mine, uh, and they were kind of feeling, yeah, they were feeling guilty that you know they couldn't be as active uh, in as as and they, they were feeling guilty that they couldn't be an activist in the way that they wanted because of their disability, and uh, and this this is not directed at just at this person. This is kind of directed at everyone, um, but we all fight in our own ways. And we don't necessarily have to fight all in the same way. And you just do what you can. And sometimes the best way of fighting is just living your life and being happy. Yeah, I I 100% agree with that. Um, you know, I think, I think there's definitely um, this preconception that or I don't know, like marches, you know, I was actually was just telling this, my, my friend the other day, I was like, I've been to every single march that I could, you know, in the, the past 30 something days. And I still feel like it doesn't accomplish anything. I'm like, I need to do something else, you know, like, mm -hmm. there, like the, 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 it's great that I'm able to show up with the numbers, but I am really 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 more interested in the other ways in which i do activism that i feel mm. that actually get through people way more than um uh marching on the streets do um and you know this is also like a new thing for me to be able to <laughs> put myself out there at risk which i like i mentioned you know i haven't been able to do for the for the past like 16 years um yeah. you know so just like being really cognizant of all of the different ways in which we can show up. I think it's so magical because we can. Like rituals are so important. My partner and I did a little ritual the other day too with some witches on our backyard. And that was incredible. Like we need that magic. Like we we need everything. And I, you know, like I I, I have a lot of criticism uh, for folks who organize and they think their way is their best way or their highway. Uh, which there are a lot of, you know, um, organizations that are like, our way of doing it, is, you know, it's just like, it's not, we really need every single form of activism. Like mm -hmm. even, you know, I'm an abolitionist, I don't believe in reform, but I don't go around and say that people that do reform is a waste of time, because I think it's very important that we try to 
alleviate as much as possible uh, situations of folks who are, for example, incarcerated. And even though I want to abolish prisons, that doesn't mean that we should stop caring for the people that are currently incarcerated, which means that people that do reform are doing excellent work. Uh, you know, so it's just like just being uh, able to recognize those things. I and I appreciate you bringing that up. Thank you for that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's this past summer I uh, I attended a trans march, and you know, I'm I'm able bodied, but I'm not able bodied in the way that you know a twenty year old is able bodied. I'm able bodied in the way that you know, a trans woman who's overweight and has health problems and who's in her, in her mid forties is able-bodied. So <laughs> I did that trans march and I was done for the rest of the weekend. It's like, oh no, we have another march next, the, the, in two days. It's the, the, and I'm like, nope, that's it. No more marching for me this weekend. So, <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it really wipes you out. It really wipes you out. And I, mm-hmm. And and the sense of guilt and like, I'm not doing enough. I 100% relate to all those things because that's how, like, ah, that's how I'm feeling right now. You know, it's just like, it's not Mm -hmm. enough. And then I have to kind of like pull back a little bit and be um, kind to myself and be compassionate with myself and be like, I am doing literally everything I can on top of just like existing as you know Mm. a trans person and an Arab person in the U.S. Mm -hmm. uh it's hard it's not easy so oh yeah I mean you're preaching to the choir here so (laughs) I mean it's oh boy being um being an Arab person in North America right now is uh oh boy it's I I I could have I have a lot of things I could possibly say about that, but it's yeah it's uh, it's not a great time for us right now. So it's it's not it's not. I think we've had a lot of illusions that it might have been an okay time, but now it's just clear that it's never been an okay time, and it's not an okay time now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, 100%, so. yeah. Uh, so Rafi, what does a world where everyone can be free look like? Oh my God, what a great, great question. You know, it's something that I I try to convey on my art, I think all the time, just like the world that I want to see. I think it is a world, I don't want to be too idealistic and say, you know, it's a a world like completely full of hate because I don't know if we ever as a species will Mm. get to that. But I think it's okay. You know, I think, uh, I think it's a world where that is um, just like the minority, like very, very minority. Mm-hmm. And that it's something that is so embedded in our culture that we just like, we talk about it and we know it's there. We deal with it. And, you know, it's just in a very transformative way. It's not in a punitive way. So that's the one thing I think just kind of like letting go of this culture that is like so punitive. Um, I think it's the kind of world that I want to see. It's just like about transformation. It has everything to do with trans, you know, like that's kind of like how I want to lead the world. It's like in a transformative kind of way. Um, yeah, I, I don't think we're going to necessarily like eradicate all of the isms, um, but I think we can get to a point where Again, they are acknowledged. We talk about it. It's it has been part of our history. It's not like we're brushing over and just being like, "Yeah, hey, this never existed." We're cool. We're all post 
racial, plus, you know, gender, no. all those things. No, it's not, of course not. not yeah, not necessarily uh, where I see the things going, um, but it is, it is a world where, um, you know, being happy and who you are and free is like rewarded, uh, that freedom is rewarded and freedom of expression is rewarded instead of being, you know, punished. Again, um, I, I think like letting go of that punitive structure is so important, which means, you know, the actual structures of punishment are no longer there. Think about that, you know, wow. like, wow, imagine. <laughs> imagine that if the actual structures that are there to punish people just are no longer there. Huh, what a culture shift would that be, right? Like mm -hmm. where we're actually like, really thinking about um okay like we don't have these institutions of, of power and punishment and anymore so what would our, um, our culture look like you know a, a community where we can keep each other safe and what that training looks like and what would those that that, that the process look like is something that I'm, i don't have all the answers to um you know um uh, but uh, it is a war, but I want to see that happen and try. Um, I think I think would be a, a much more positive world where it's less about control and it's more about community and care. Uh, you know, where I want to see a world where uh, wars are not a thing. Imagine that, not having to fund wars and instead using that money, those billions and trillions of dollars uh that are spent on i don't know mass destruction and weaponry like oh my god i have so, the ethics for me of because as a designer I, I i i am i get really mad at anybody that even like someone had to design weapons of mass destruction mm -hmm. right like <laughs> Those things had to be designed by, I, I remember also uh, just seeing uh, well, the team, I read about the team of designers who did the, that awful immigration floating device. I don't know if folks are familiar with it, but uh, it was a proposed um, floating device. It was like kind of like balloons. Circles oh, are you floating. talking about the, um, the, like the barbed wire in the uh, Rio Grande? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's just like, what kind of medieval torture device is this? Like, like these are just things, barbaric. Barbaric. These are like things that we shouldn't even be like entertaining. That's the world I want to live in, where those things are not entertained at all. In fact, they are just like they're abolished. Like well, that's not something we do. <laughs> sorry, <Yeah>. not sorry. <laughs> we don't do that. I want to see you know in my world. Um, and I don't, I, I'm a huge advocate, not just for human rights, but also for, you know, animal rights. I'm very passionate about that. Um, mm -hmm. I think we, our world has been so extremely ex, extractive uh, and just disseminated nature. And we like view animals as like lesser than beings. And the way, even the way we study animals is so like, speciesist and like human centric like the way that we like think we understand animals is like still through our perspective you know so like when we say things like oh they're not they're really like very simplistic beings they're not very complex like 
the hell are we to say those things? Like, do you, mm-hmm. do you, like, you know, like they have their own societies, their own like ways of living. They form their own bonds in different ways that just mm-hmm. because it doesn't look like ours, it's like not as complex and not as, you know, and I'm just like, no, I don't, I don't really buy those things. Um, and it's very interesting, you know, because it's like, where we tend to be so much more empathetic to animals that show certain traits that are more like similar to ours, right? So yes. <laughs> therefore they they're like a little bit higher on the on the scale. And I just like I don't believe that. Um, you know, so like I would love to live in a world where nature and the environment and animals are treated as part of our community rather than, you know, as mm-hmm. something to be like consumed and dominated. Um, not a fan of that so that would also require us to like rethink our architecture you know and like because we just like build things and we just like you know like oh sorry that was your home (laughs) not anymore now we have like three major highways like now you're just gonna have to cross it and we might hit you with 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 our car that's just the way things are yeah um you know so like yeah these are just like a lot of the things that i think about um you know as 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 part of like my world and yeah just like let let people be themselves you know and we'll have transformative methods um when things come up i hope that answered it yeah absolutely (laughs) <laughs> and I'm, I mean, I'm definitely guilty of treating different animals differently because yes. like we all are, we all are, of course, but it, I mean, it's like, oh, it's like, I, I will love to hug and kiss, you know, dogs and cats and rabbits and otters, but you, you give me like a scorpion or like a, are we like, no, no, fam, no. <laughs> I don't think we need to get to that point to be able to realize that, you know, we should be more respectful towards animals i think that's like a little bit of a misconception you know yeah. so it's like i'm also like not a fan of all the animals you know like i'm like i'm like i'm i'm a very loud like vegan and have been for like i don't know 10 years now um but mm-hmm. you know i'm not i'm not that vegan i'm a very like human rights and animal rights mm-hmm. together type of of person have always been this way um you know i just i just believe that we have to be more cognizant and careful about how we like treat animals because you know the way that we treat animals then also impacts the way that we treat each other i mean we see this time and time again i'll say this how we justify violence towards certain groups of people by calling mm-hmm. them animals like that's not a coincidence that's just not yeah. a coincidence <laughs> you know those things are like very much like connected um well yeah so. and that's that's basically how you can get people to enact violence against a, a certain group is by dehumanizing them exactly exactly uh so we did have a question from the chat so Mirami asks uh i'm curious have you noticed a difference in symbolism between the cultures you grew up with and where you live now does that work its way into your art somehow Oh, that is a great question. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Things are, I mean, uh, I definitely feel like, for example, and his is a very good example of it. Um, like my mother tongue is Portuguese. Um, but I really don't speak Portuguese like at all, really. 
Uh, yeah. I'm, yeah, like I'm not close to my biological family. Uh, like I, we don't speak. We're not on like speaking terms. I don't really spend a lot of time in Portuguese-led spaces, uh, you know? So um, one thing that I'm like bitter about it is because like all of my um, vocabulary with like social justice and activism is like in English and I have mm -hmm. a hard time, like when I want to speak Portuguese, I have a, such a hard time like expressing those things because I don't have the practice of like, speaking in those terms in like right, right. Portuguese right so it's just like and it is completely different like how it like Portuguese they're like you know it's a it's a certain way on how you speak it's a certain way on how like I embody it and like it mm -hmm. is in English uh so I think like there's a lot of like loss in that just by um joke just like geography right now for me so that's like right, something right. that you know that it, that has been like lost which is um difficult for me and and so because of that fact and because I'm not as entrenched into you know Latin America culture as I I was before when I was growing up when I was you know I grew up in Brazil most of my life um I feel because of that that also definitely affects my kind of art you know I don't see the same colors anymore I don't see the same patterns anymore as I used to have, as I used to see on kind of like my everyday life by going on the street, by going to the markets, like those things are more kind of like in the memory rather than as an actor. Um, yeah, no, I, um, I completely understand where you're coming from. That's very relatable to me. So like my yeah. mother tongue is Arabic and my Arabic these days is god awful and uh, i mean i can understand it but i can't read or write um and i also speak a very like hyper uh localized dialect of it so yeah. like i mean i can understand someone from the maghreb region which is morocco algeria and tunisia but if i hear like a lebanese person speak arabic or you know a palestinian speak arabic i won't be able to understand yeah so. and I, I it's I, that infuriates me so much because yeah. you know it's just like it's just like Oh my God, I, it, it kind of, it's, it sucks to lose that type of like connection with the, with the language, especially, mm -hmm. um, you know, so it's just like, yeah, it, I'm better about it, but it's just yeah. hard if you're not practicing it every day, you know, you eventually, it's just, it's going to wear out. Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel a little bit differently, um, just because like, I've never really felt connected to Arabic culture. I mean, like, I grew up in Canada, I was born in Canada, and, like, literally the only connection I have to my Arabic heritage is through my parents, and I don't really talk to my parents anymore, and yeah. especially now that, especially now that I'm trans, they, uh, <laughs> not, uh, to make a long story short, it's, uh, it's definitely complicated the relationship even more, and, um, yeah. and yeah, there's, uh, there is that sense of loss there, but it's also, it's, I feel like my own culture has rejected me for being what I am. Um, so it's, you know, I don't feel bitter about it because like, I never really had that strong of a connection, but like the outside world is always going to see me as an Arab. I'm, I'm, I'm never going to pass as a white person. Like I'm not a white person and, uh, whether I like it or not, that's always going to be a part of me. Yeah. I think I feel that way about like 
Brazil as a culture as a whole, um, because I was like deeply traumatized by it. Hence why, you know, I, I fled. I'm, I was a political asylum petitioner. Um, so um, I think for me, there's a sense of hurt in that, but I don't feel that way uh, about my Arabic. I think maybe because, you know, I it's a little bit more distance distant for me like I it was it was something that I had to reclaim more than anything mm. um you know I feel like Brazil as a culture was very much like part of like my formational self and Arabic was more an Arab culture was more like something I had to like seek and like reclaim as part of um, my identity because I didn't grow up speaking it um the kid like I was always like I, I had like a lot of like stereotypical, um, you know, racism towards me, but like, I didn't know what that meant. Um, mm. Like growing up as a kid, like, I didn't know why, you know, like people would make <laughs> fun of me and like do a lot of jokes or like my grandma, yeah. especially, you know, like, oh yeah, it was like my grandma's like, I did a, I, we did a DNA test and she's like a hundred percent that D like she is like 100% Syrian Lebanese and she takes like a lot of pride and she passed away this year. Unfortunately, it was uh, mm-hmm. very, very hard to lose her. Um, but, but, but yeah, I think because I didn't grow up with just like having that Arabness super visible in my own family in terms of like, this is how we speak or like, you know, like, um food was a big one so that was that was very nice like I feel like I I got to grow up a lot uh, uh, with the food culture like but my grandma never really wanted to talk about those things mm-hmm. I think she was also traumatized yeah. you know so like I really had to like really hammer her to like hear about my Arab side of the mm-hmm. family so I think maybe that's why it was more of like a reclaiming situation yeah no that absolutely makes sense and it's yeah, it's just, there's so many different stories among uh, those of us who are immigrants or first-generation immigrants or uh, those of us who are of mixed heritage. It's, we all kind of approach it in different ways and we all kind of have uh, different ways of relating to it. So, um, Yaster, uh I think you're, you got to drop off, is that right? Yes. Um, <laughs> thanks. I'm going to let you all finish without me today yes so, i'm gonna go be disabled and crawl in bed and rest now <laughs> yes so apropos Everyone's to our doing a great job <laughs> yes please go take care of yourself yes please do <laughs> i will Certainly. i will I'll, I'll man the store while you're gone so. <laughs> you also can woman the store while i'm gone if you would yes. like to <laughs> i will person no, the store <laughs> no man no manning required if you don't want to <laughs> trans jokes okay bye (laughs) okay have a good rest (laughs) all right so back to the interview (laughs) um have you found that your sexuality has shifted or changed during your gender transition yes for sure for sure um when i finally came to terms that i was trans I really just started feeling attraction to every single form of like human gender that there is out there. And before mm. I, I, I wasn't, 
but something just like opened up. And I remember talking about this in therapy. I was like, I actually think I'm pansexual. Like, I don't know what is going on, but like, I'm just so attracted to like anybody these days. Like, I don't know what is happening. Like, you That's know, incredible. and I, yeah. And, you know, at the time I was like, I had this, I was like married to a partner and I was like, how the hell am I going to do this? Uh, you know, cause now I'm just like, I want to experience, you know, it's just like, I wanted to experience so much in my own new like body and, and my own like sexuality. So, you know, short story, you know, it wasn't that great. We got divorced, um, <laughs> as it happens in a lot of like relationships, unfortunately, when you're like transitioning, yeah. um, you know, like a lot of partners are just like not up for it. Um, and yeah, you know, it's an unfortunate reality that not every relationship survives the transition. Very, very true. Like sadly, both sadly. both romantic relationships and non-romantic relationships. One hundred, yeah, relationships. One hundred percent. Relationships like, in general. Yeah, like mm -hmm. I, 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 I definitely went through that that loss on all fronts. Um, but you know, one one change a thing, one change a thing. Like the fact that I'm here yeah. now and like happy and have the most amazing partner and like have the most amazing work that I love doing and my little family and my community it's just mm -hmm. like you know I like I own a house like something I never thought wow like the millennial dream <laughs> <laughs> but it, it is for me like such a you know because I, I I grew up with like domestic violence uh mm. was like eight years of like pure hell so I mm -hmm. think like I have a very specific relationship with the concept of like home uh mm -hmm. it's not like you should buy a house and like a picket fence and it's just like no it's like it's always been like um I think a very much like a healing spot for me um yeah. the fact of like having that security and just like being able to turn that home into like the sanctuary that I've never really like had Oh, yeah. And, you know, like the stability that comes with that and just like the joy that comes with that. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's something I never thought I would like experience in my life. And like, here I am. So it's just, it's really like incredible to to be able to, to, to have that. Yeah, that's that's another thing I, I relate to a lot. Because um, like, I, I mean, I also grew up in in a domestic violence situation and mm -hmm. um so and it sorry. wasn't until much later in life where i found myself in a safe space where i could finally start unpacking things where i wasn't in survival yes. mode anymore and um and that's how i figured out i was trans because i just didn't have i didn't have the mental capacity to do it before then i because yes. i wasn't in a safe space exactly so um, I really wish Meowster was still here for this question because they have a very similar um, experience with their sexuality after being on testosterone. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I mean, 
as someone who's had testosterone in the system for decades, I can tell, I can yeah. attest to the fact that testosterone is a hell of a drug. Oh my God. <laughs> so yeah, I... they kind of had a similar experience where they went on testosterone and realized that they were pansexual. <laughs> yeah. It's just, I remember like telling my, I was like, I don't know. Like my therapist was just like, I, it's just like, it's like a real, it's really out. It's really there. Like I really need to experience this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. And it's like, as someone who no longer has testosterone in their system, it's, I I would say like my sexuality hasn't changed, but the Mm. intensity of it has, has, has changed where it's like something that like I explain to people who've never had testosterone in the system. It's like, when you have testosterone in your system, it's like your brain is constantly thinking about sex. You're just like, it's sex, 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 sex all the time. Yep. And to have that, just the volume turned down on that is just, nice, it's been huh? so liberating for me. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah, I definitely had that phase. Thank God. I, I'm i really not like that. Um, and I mean, I've been on tea for like a while now, I think. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know, like since 2017, I think. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So, wow. so it's it's been a while, you know, like long enough for me to, and also like my sexual, my 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 drive really like ebbs and flows, and I'm like totally okay with that, you know. Mm. I'm just like, I'm not like, oh my god, what's wrong with me? I'm not, you know, masturbating five days of five 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 times a, a day. No, it's like it's cool. It's fine. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's oh yeah. It's it's so nice when it's like you can be horny when you want to be not. Like it's, it's like you can control it. Yeah. But yes. It doesn't control you. Blessing. Yes. Blessing. It is a blessing. Oh boy. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, no no regrets. Sorry. What was that? I said no regrets for me. Oh yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, just, just switch, switch gears for a little, for a little bit here. Uh, what can you share with us about your spirituality and spiritual practices? Oh yeah. Um yeah, so I I I'm not like uh someone who believes in God as you know what most people would think of God as as this like one entity sort of thing when I think about God. Um but you know there are many many types of gods. Um I would say I'm more of like a spiritual person rather than a religious person. Uh, I guess that's that's the sense that I was thinking about God as like a religious mm. entity, um, um, not something that I practice or uh, living for myself. Um, my grandmother, actually, uh, she was a medium, so she was very, very, very attuned to mm. like spirits and had studied uh, the practice for a very, very long time. And I grew up like witnessing what that was like. And it was really, really powerful. And just like something that I was just like, I cannot explain what is going on right now or like the things that I'm seeing, but I know they're not from this earth. And uh, I don't know what to do with it in terms of like, it was first of all, it was never something that I like feared, mm. you know, like I've never feared the spirits. The spirits were much more like guides and like people I could count on, you know, rather than if I do this thing, I'll be 
you know, again, the punishment never, never like really was like part of like my practice. Um, so I believe in the power of spirits because I have like witnessed them like myself and I, you know, my grandma was the, the only family member that I was always like close with. Mm. Um, uh, just like a very, very powerful woman. And so as part of my practice, um, I'm just like someone who calls onto, say, those spiritual beings and think of them and ask for their guidance. And I feel like they come in expression in a variety of ways, you know, like ways that I like little things that I notice, um, you know, or like sometimes just like words that I listen to in my brain. And I'm just like, oh, wow, that came at a interesting time. Um, I wonder who said that, you know? So just like, mm. that's kind of like the, 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 this, the practice that I have. Uh, so it's not, it's not, a not something that like controls me or, you know, that I'm like restricted by, but definitely something that I, I just like feel guided by. Um, but I'm not, I'm not like my grandma. My grandma was very like serious about it. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, like I said, she like studied and was part of a community of people who like met up every weekend and did like spiritual work. And it was like something that like was very tiring, took a lot of energy. Like yeah. I've never, you know, done those types of things. I'm much more like relaxed about it, but I think it's important like for me to have, uh, some sort of like spiritual belief um because I, I I myself feel like I'm not very like earthly like I'm not a I'm not from this earth necessarily that's how I mm. feel uh I'm very like in the air and like very like ethereal like and I also have like barely any earth on my zodiac chart uh so that checks uh <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> I'm like very ethereal and like dreamy and that's just kind mm. of like the space that I feel the most comfortable uh in you know so yeah i think it i think it's uh it, it's great when it doesn't like restrict you but rather like complements to you and just guides you more than anything yeah yeah and i think that's the best way of going about it i mean uh i'm a, i'm like i'm kind of on the opposite end of that spectrum so like i mean i'm a scientist and and i'm kind of trained in the the sciences of mathematics and I'm I have a more like materialist sense uh of the world um but that doesn't necessarily exclude other viewpoints and I really um I appreciate it when I can talk to people who have very different viewpoints than I do so right. even though like we may not necessarily agree on the nature of existence I can at least respect someone else's viewpoint and uh touching on what you said earlier this is not something that controls your life or this is not something right. that you know is is prescriptive for you to how to behave and it also doesn't preclude you from also particip participating in the scientific and the materials so 100 um, yeah so it's it's the only time i really kind of put my foot down is when people are just like no i'm gonna avoid medical care i'm gonna not have my vaccines and right like, well oh, yeah. yeah yeah i mean at this point you're you're harming yourself and others so we need to step in here <laughs> <laughs> but 100%. I mean, if it's if it helps you like make sense of your world and interpret like how you're like how all your different neurons are are working, I mean, it's there's so much about the brain that we don't understand. 
And if, right. if, if, if your way of looking at it makes sense to you and gives you value in your life, then who am I to say anything about that? So, right. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I think there is a, you know, like it's, it's good to have a little mysticism in your life. Um, you know, like not having like mm-hmm. every single thing has an answer necessarily. Yeah. You know, I think there are many answers for many things. So, and even within the realms of, of science, like there are things we will never have the answers to. And exactly. even as a non-spiritual person, like I remember my first gender euphoria experience and I described it as spiritual. Mm, that's beautiful. So, um, Yeah. Now, how would you say your uh, gender experience affects your spirituality? Oh, that's a good question. I think definitely like as a non-binary, like trans person, you know, that is that is one thing that um, I'll say that I didn't get a lot of um I wouldn't say support, but just like, I think with my grandma was in terms of like spirituality was always very like binaryist. Um, but in terms of just like how she talked about it, how she would describe experiences and, and things like that. Um, maybe because most spirits that would come to her maybe didn't feel so like because she was, you know, a cis straight woman maybe they didn't feel so like attracted to that kind of energy um mm-hmm. you know but like I I 100% feel like energy and spirit is very like, non-binary for me that's like how I experience them it's very like fluid uh it's very uh expansive um so i feel like as an awakening of like transformation of my own gender and like sexuality i feel like i've opened myself to those types of energies like much much more and so they like i feel like they come to me much more because of that um and it's just a different energy i mean you can you know you know different that energy is you know like when you walk into a room and you're like oh my god that male student's energy is just like i'm not having that you know (laughs) oh yeah sometimes you just walk into a room it's like "Mm, no there is too much dude bro energy in here (laughs) i'm like close the door goodbye you know Mm -hmm. like to be able to experience that is is very 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 like incredible you know and it's just like wow, was it, it makes me think, you know, was it always there? And I just like didn't experience it or, you know, it's, it's like mm-hmm. you, you start thinking about kind of like all of those, of those things, but I'm just glad that I do now, you know, and kind of that's what matters. Awesome. Yeah. So what's coming up in the future of Rafi Madhava? Tell us about your upcoming projects. Upcoming projects. Uh, well, I'm definitely currently I've, I'm doing a lot of art and just like a lot of um, activism and organizing, uh, you know, current situations. I don't need to see much about it, but folks know. Um, so that's kind of like at the forefront of my um, life right now. Um, I'm just been doing just like 
arts shares and art community and just like being in community with a lot of artists drawing mm -hmm. things together making posters making flyers like really just trying to hone um my art for my values and the liberation of of people and throughout the world honestly like there's just so much happening at multiple times um, yeah. that I think require our attention <laughs> and care and and love and voices. Um, so I'm kind of like focused on those pressing issues right now uh, the most and it's been a little bit consuming uh, in, in a good way, in a lot of ways. And, you know, I step out when I, when I have to. Uh, but I want to continue to utilize my arts and my voice oh i also just uh finished recently ish ish it's been a couple of months but i did this um social justice design like comprehensive curriculum course that was like really just like all of my years doing like social justice design packed into you know kind of like a course situation so like Teaching is one thing that I really love doing. And, you know, I think I get a lot of like joy and um, just I get a lot of back from it. Um, and I think it's important for, for us to like be able to share our skills and share our, our experiences with others and like teach and learn at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I want to I wanna make sure that um, I can pass on as much of my knowledge as I can to other folks and learn from other folks in the process as well. Um, so yeah, I think those are like my two big things that are like on the horizon um, at the moment, like the social justice design course, just like a lot of arts um, and something that I'm committed to and will continue to do. Awesome. Yeah, and I think it's, it's really important for artists to get together with other artists and kind of learn from each other. I mean, it's like, I'm like, I'm not an artist in the way that you're an artist. I mean, I make videos for YouTube where I mostly just make fun jokes, but um, I do like make art videos sometimes. And um, I feel like I do learn a lot from, you know, getting together with other creators and, and sharing ideas. And so, um, yeah, like good on you for, for being part of that community. Oh yeah, so is, so important. Yeah, yeah. Is there is there anything that we missed about your art, activism, and spirituality that you'd like to make sure you'd say? No, I don't think so. I'm just like really grateful to be able to be in community and to just you know share my view of the world and my own experiences. And you know, I would I don't know. I would just say, like I said. Um, at some point during this interview, you know, we have so little time on this earth. So mm -hmm. it's just like, do your thing, you know, be you and um, speak up when you can uh, in whichever way that may be. Like we talked about this, there's so many mm -hmm. different ways. And that's kind of like what I would love to just kind of leave as a, as a message for folks. So this is, this is actually my favorite question that I like to ask all of our guests. Uh, just because, especially given current events, uh, a lot of the trans experience is kind of framed in negativity. Uh, but I think it's far more important to share 
our joy. Um, can you share with us an experience you've had with gender euphoria? Oh, yes. Uh, I think most recently was probably after I had bottom surgery, probably the most intense gender euphoria experiences that I've had. Um, you know, it was like a really long, long process into thinking this is what I want, what I don't want. Like for mm -hmm. anyone who was been through it or is contemplating it knows yep. that it is a long ass process. Yep. <laughs> and you know, there's a lot of complications and a lot of things that go with it. Uh, but like, I will tell you, like for me, it was just like the most euphoric feeling that I could have just seeing it, feeling it, and just knowing that it's like part of my body permanently, you know, I'm just like, oh my God, like this is not going anywhere now. <laughs> it's there, you know, <laughs> it's like stuck to me now. And I freaking love that. I freaking love it. It was just like, not even with anyone else. It was just like, me and myself mm -hmm. like I think that was like the most euphoric part it was just like not even like having like sex with anyone else it was just like me and me you know just like even looking I'm just like oh my god that feels so wonderful so oh, great I love that for you and you know like again not this is just like my experience obviously you know um there's so many ways of feeling gender euphoria just like little things too you know just like for me with like my beard or like when I look at certain like like my jawline like things like that are super like euphoric but just like the most recent one is probably that yeah and to be fair that's a big one <laughs> it is a big one no pun intended <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it, it is <laughs> Uh, what would you like to make sure that folks know about your perspective on gender and non-binary trans and or gender diverse issues? Oh, I feel like we thought we've covered so much, but, um, you know, I think um, for me, like non-binary and like trans experience has really rippled outside of the realm of just gender and sexuality I feel like the way that I approach life in general has really been radicalized mm -hmm. by like my gender and like the expansiveness of like my sexuality like whenever I think about like things in general like some like social justice issues for example you know I'm always like oh it's like it's both and it's not just like either or you know and I'm like where did I learn that and I'm like oh yeah because I'm non-binary so that makes total sense you know so okay. just like those kinds of like things that I don't even like recognize because they're so like automatic at this point and I'm like no 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 that was this kind of thinking became ingrained in my head because I am a lived experience of that notion you know it's mm -hmm. this it's so it's like it's a very like embodied experience rather than kind of like um 
more cerebral experience. Like right, for me, it's right. very much like in my body to have that um, and to just like really look at like transformational aspects of things and how I can like transform relationships and how I can transform, you know, um, systems of like oppression and systems of like punishment and things like that. I think those things have become very much like ingrained and part of who I am again because of that lived experience that I have as a as a trans person. So yeah. Awesome. Well, I gotta say it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh really enjoyed our chat. Uh, Rafi Mahaba, aka The Beat In Between, is a queer, trans, non-binary artist and creative director making all things queer and radical. As an artisan, they strive to work with sustainable products, all plant-based and from small businesses. As a creative director, they hope to spark conversations with their creations and ultimately bring awareness and action to so many of the systemic issues polluting our world. You can find their link tree at The Beat In Between. So you can find the link in the show notes and you can find the link in the, uh, in the, in the Twitch chat as well. Uh, so here is this week's Collider query that you, our audience, can answer in our social media platforms. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I will put that in the chat for you. <laughs> there you go. Oh, yeah. Those are some good ones. What is the moment of gender euphoria for you? Yes. If you can read that out for our audience. <laughs> so, yeah. So first one would be, what is a moment of gender euphoria for you? Should, should we wait for... No, these are going to go out on social media. So just go ahead and fire them off. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, do it again. What is the moment of gender euphoria for you? And how are you making the world a more equitable place? Awesome. So uh, I've been your guest, Miranda Katita. Uh, Gender Meow started to go lie down. So uh, we wish them well in their their rest and recovery from a very long weekend. Uh, So yeah, Um, thanks for listening. And uh, trans rights are human rights. That's right. Genderful would like to thank our guests for being on this podcast. If you'd like to catch us live, join us on Mondays on twitch.tv forward slash gendermeowster. Show notes will appear in the edited versions of the show on Fridays on both YouTube and podcasting platforms. If you have a question you'd like the host to answer or are gender diverse and would like to request an interview, please send an email to genderfulpodcast at gmail.com or sign up via the website at genderfulpodcast.com. As a gender diverse community, the Clouder wants to assure our listeners that we are prepared to moderate our spaces. We will get positive and negative feedback on these shows and topics. And we have a moderation team on our channels, socials, and Discord server ready to deal with this. Please join our Discord server at discord.gg forward slash meowster to meet the community and get a regular digest of solidarity resources. You can also support us with subscriptions on Patreon, following and reviewing us on your favorite podcasting platform, or engaging with our posts and content on social media at genderfulpod and at gendermeowster. You can take a few minutes to rate the show. We will post any five-star reviews on our socials, so get creative. Mention a special interest of your own, a project you're working on, or even say hi to your comfort person in your review. What power? This show is made possible by volunteers, tips, and subscriptions. Shout out to the folks helping us coordinate guests, edit the podcast, moderate the live chat, and post on our socials. Here's our artist credit. Jennerful is hosted by Miranda Katita and Jennermeowster. Jennerful's pre-show is wrangled by Juice Tex. Jennerful's live stream is produced by Mirami. Jennerful is edited and mixed by Trans Griffin and Free Range Megs. Jennerful's promos and thumbnail graphic are designed by Trans Griffin. Jennerful's social media is managed by Keenzie. 
Interpol's theme song is called Hope by Free Range Megs, also known as Soma. The current Gender Master logo was designed by Siptopia. Genderful is the intellectual property of Gender Meowster. All rights reserved. Trans, Trans rights, rights are human rights. rights. That's right. right.